Hi everyone, this is Yin and welcome to Growth From Failure. I wanted to create this show to highlight extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up, but with a slight twist. I'll have conversations with people from a variety of professions, from investors to entrepreneurs to educators to athletes, because I enjoy hearing a really good success story from any discipline. But I wanted to view their story more through a lens of struggle or hardship and even failure. Because for me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow aren't from the wins or triumphs, but from the setbacks and defeat. So instead of reviewing their highlight reel with all the success and accomplishments, we'll talk about some of the bloopers that includes the mistakes and the rocky roads, which can be glossed over, but oftentimes more impactful to their mindset and success. I hope hearing their journey inspires you to not fear failing, but motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. This is the story of Jacqueline Demas. In this episode, we discuss her journey to becoming an Emmy award-winning producer for children's animated programs. Now, when I was five or six, I remember watching this movie that most 80s babies watched called The Goonies. And Jacqueline also watched it. And while I was starting to say quotes from Sloth and Chunk, it's things like Goonies never say die to my siblings over and over again. For Jacqueline, this was the movie and the moment she realized she wanted to be in the business. She'd ask questions about cinematography and direction, how they do this, how they do that, real production questions. And that's how you know a production star is born. Jacqueline's curiosity continued and she pursued her passion. Her first job in the industry was at Nick Jr. and the rest is history. She worked on the critically acclaimed The Wonder Pets at Nick Jr. and then went on to produce a wonderful show called Peg Plus Cat on PBS Kids that won her an Emmy. What I loved about this conversation was hearing her energy for the love of her craft of producing high quality content with such unwavering commitment. And she inspires me to think collaboratively, to think creatively, and to think more confidently. Please enjoy this conversation with the delightful Jacqueline Demas. Hi, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Thank you for joining. There's not many interviews I've done with Emmy Award winners, so that's exciting. Well, that's exciting. I feel honored. First off, I'd like to thank Ari Pine, who introduced us. And I have to tell you and share what he said as he introduced you, because he knows my husband, Chris, and many of our network knows this is a show about people who inspire me, who motivate me. And he said, I happen to know a lady who has a remarkable story, Jacqueline Dimas. She's an 11-time Emmy-nominated, one-time Emmy winner of children's shows. She's an amazing mom and has overcome adversity over her life in a way that inspires me. And I get chills just reading that because it's one of those that you don't get many people who just give that summary for someone. So anyways, the moment I heard that, I'm like, yes, please. And so I'm so excited. So thank you to Ari for the generous introduction. Thank you. Yes. It's funny because one of your questions that I read was, or what inspires you? And he's a person that definitely inspires me as well. I love it. What a great partnership. Well, now, before we talk about your incredible work in children's animated programs, can you rewind your very long highlight reel all the way back and share with our listeners where you grew up? Sure. So I grew up on Long Island in a town called Hicksville, and it's in Nassau County. So it's kind of in the middle of Long Island. When I was growing up, it was a very middle class type of town. My dad was a mechanic. He owned his own auto body shop. My mom was a homemaker who went back to work when my sister and I were in middle school. It was a very suburban type of upbringing. And I have to say my childhood was 
very happy. It was basically like one of those families in a sitcom where it's, we all have dinner together every night. My mom cooked every night, summer vacations at the shore. My mom sewed our Halloween costumes. Like it was very much like that. So it was a very happy childhood, lots of laughter. People are always amazed by this, but I never, ever once in my life, even through high school and teenage years, I've never heard my father yell. Everyone's always amazed by that, but that's just the environment I grew up in. Everyone listened to each other. Everyone was very supportive of each other. I felt very lucky to grow up the way that I did. I know we're both moms, but it's interesting how much you try to unpack as you have children of your own and apply some things that you like with your parents' parenting style and others that you strip away. But it sounds like all those characteristics of your childhood, you'd actually want to apply for your kids. Yes, I definitely do. I've always wanted them to grow up the way that I did. But as you know, as like a career mom, it's really hard to like cook dinner every night and sit together every night, especially when your kids are getting older. And it's like, this one has baseball, this one has basketball. It's like you're eating in the car on the way to practice. So that's very much how our life is right now. So do I wish it was more the way I grew up? Yes, but we've created our own way. So I think it's working for us. I love it. When we can get into balancing and juggling all of that, although I did hear an expression that it's not juggling because that assumes that you could have all the balls up in the air at the same time. And it's more integration. So you could have it all, but not at the same time. (laughs) So we could talk about that. And usually in the interview, after learning more about childhood, where people grew up, I like to fast forward and ask people more college and the decision making to that process. But for your story, I wanted to highlight because it's rare for the people I've interviewed that people know so early on what they want to do. And so before we talk more about your college and decision making process to choose that college, can you rewind and share with listeners where or at what point you realize, oh, I really want to be in this field that you're in? So I actually knew the exact moment (laughs) that I wanted to be in TV or movies or movie making. I was five or six years old. My mom took me to my very first movie in the theater, The Goonies, which is an 80s cult classic. I was very small as a kid. So I remember sitting on my mother's lap. Those old school theaters where there was no reclining seats, nothing like today. So I was sitting on her lap, completely enthralled in this movie. I just thought it was the coolest thing. These kids are going on a pirate treasure hunt by themselves on their bikes. But the scene that really got to me was when they're finally on the brink of finding One-Eyed Willie's ship and they go down this water slide and then they end up in this cave with the pirate ship. And I kept asking my mom, how do they do that? How are they filming this? Where's the camera? I distinctly remember being five or six years old and saying, how did they make this? And I want to do that. I was just obsessed. And I just kept asking her over and over again, even like days later. And she finally threw her hands up and was like, I don't know how to answer this question. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you should figure it out on your own. I don't know anything about this. I'm like, all right. She wasn't yelling at me, but she just really didn't know. So that was the moment that I knew I wanted to make movies, TV. I just became obsessed with cameras and that sort of thing. And It really carried on from that moment because even in elementary school, when I was 12, 11 or 12, I created a news station with my friends. I think it was called Kids in the News, if I remember correctly. But, you know, we would put on this broadcast every Friday in my sixth grade class and other kids started to do it, too. So it just became this thing that we did every Friday. 
we would cover real things in the news, world events, the weather, sports, everyone had a job. So it kind of just carried through up until now. I love it. Well, you could tell the difference of just being inspired so early on. I saw that movie. I love it. Goonies Never Say Die. Always <laughs> one of my favorites. Yes, but I'd yes. say when I watched it, the only thing I got out of it was I love that movie and I started wearing the t-shirt. So there's definitely a yeah. fork in the road of <laughs> your career and mine with yeah. entertainment. Yeah. How awesome is that? And also, I love the news station inspiration. So yeah. one thing I mentioned is I always like to ask people how they chose the college they went to and why, because generally people don't know and didn't have that early right. discovery. So knowing that and so infused with the passion that you had for media production, content creation, how did you choose the college you went to and what was your major? So my major was mass communications and with a minor in English, because in addition to wanting to create content and TV or movies, I love writing. And I love reading. So I was like, you know what, I'll just minor in English. And I'm really glad that I did because it really exposed me to so many different types of literature, American classics, but then Greek philosophy. I really valued that in college. But I guess I ended up at Quinnipiac University. I mean, they had an amazing mass communications program. So when I went there, I really liked the program that they had. I loved their communication center. And at the time, this was, my God, 20 years ago, everything was not digital. So it was like real cameras, real tape-to-tape editing. At the time, they had state-of-the-art facilities where, as now, it would be ancient. And it was not that far from home. It was only 100 miles away. So... I still wanted to be close to home, but also have that college experience. That's really one of the major reasons why I picked it as well. I kind of wanted to be close to home. Totally can relate. I grew up in the Central Valley of California and the options in the UC system were great, but I went with Cal in part one, it's a great school, but in part because it was two hours away and it felt a little bit more If I wanted to come home, I could. And it was great. And I really had a great experience there. I made really great friends. I ended up graduating a semester early actually, because I felt like I was ready to leave college. I did my thing. I'm ready to go. And I really wanted to get into working. So I graduated a semester early. I had enough credits. But unfortunately, when I graduated, that's when 9-11 had occurred. So graduating was great, but the world wasn't. And breaking into TV 21 years old was really difficult. Amazing. So then what was your first job out of college? So really, my first job out of college was bartending because I couldn't find a job. I wasn't connected. It was before social media took over the world. So I couldn't easily connect to people like on LinkedIn or any other social platform. So it was really difficult to meet people. I got a bartending license. I had to pay back my loan somehow. I started bartending first on Long Island, then I went into the city. And what I did was I kept my resume behind the bar. And thinking back, it was probably not the best idea because I was just handing my resume out to random people with my name and address on it. Like now that I think back, this isn't smart. But anyway, by doing that, long story short, I ended up meeting someone who worked at Nick Jr., which is the preschool block of Nickelodeon. And through him, I had met someone that worked on Dora the Explorer, which everybody knows. And I was up for this assistant job. And I went in, I interviewed, I really thought I got it. I did not get it. However, that person said, hey, you didn't get this, but there's this other opening in Nick Jr. development, their development department. So I said, sure, let me just go. And I ended up getting that job. I interviewed right before the holidays. And I remember them calling me like right before Christmas. 
And they were like, hey, you got the job. And I was so excited. I didn't care what the salary was. I was like, I just want to get out of bartending. I want to start my career. It was almost a full year out of college before I got my first break. It's almost like a New York rite of passage to be a bartender at some point, because that's something I've always thought about and watched cocktail way too many times to do some bottle flipping (laughs) in the air. You know what? I always said bartending, waitressing, hostess, whatever you want to do. It's actually a very hard job because you have to please everybody. Every customer has to be happy. You have to know how to deal with people. It's not for me. I did it, but I admire people who do that every day. Likewise, I grew up in the restaurant business because my parents had a Chinese restaurant. And one thing that Sarah Soleimani, who I interviewed, she's a beautiful actress and director herself. And she said, having a sales job or a customer oriented job, it teaches you so much, not only about communication and improv, but also to your point of customer service and trying to please everybody. You realize that even with the most high quality, exceptional service, you're going to get a disgruntled person and it's how you deal with that. But I actually, I love those type of jobs. Wait, so here you are, you pass out a resume as a bartender. That's amazing. I love that initiative. So then you get the job. Did you at the time know you wanted to be in content creation and it happened to be in children's animation? So I was just happy to be anywhere, right? I just happened to fall into Nick Jr. And it was the production and development department. So it's where shows started. It's where people pitch their ideas. It's how shows got greenlit. And thinking back, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to say that it was luck, but how lucky was I to be there listening to all these people pitch their ideas and how my bosses chose which idea to go with and what was behind the decision-making process. But I worked for, it was a very small department. It was all women. It came from all walks of life, all different ethnicities, all brilliant women. And some of them, there was like one vice president, there were executives in charge of production. And I really worked for all of them, answering their phones, getting their lunches, getting coffee, making sure their schedules were smooth every day. So that's really what I did every day was just answer the phone, that kind of thing. But at one point, I was able to sit in on all different types of development meetings. I would sit in when people pitch their ideas. I was able to read every script that came across my desk. At one point, my boss was like, you know, just read this. Let me know what you think type of thing. I'm like, oh, okay. So I really latched on to all these opportunities that were given to me at the time, being 22, 23 years old. And then I think at some point I realized kids' content's really important. We're making TV for kids to educate them, to make them laugh, to make them feel good about themselves, especially preschool, because that's where I ended up first was preschool. And how cool to make a two or three-year-old laugh. So I think I really latched on to that as well. And I just knew at some point, this is what I want to do. If I'm going to make TV, I want it to be quality. I want it to be for kids. And it's something I could be proud of. Oh, I love it. I recently listened to an interview with Mark Manson, and he talked about Mm -hmm. the three primary areas of how to be happy. And he talks about who's in your ecosystem, who's in your network that you're around and surrounded by. The other one was what you're doing for your body, so maintaining health and wellness. But the first one he mentions is what project are you working on to show progression or what are you doing that's meaningful? And gosh, I don't think there's anything more meaningful than working for 
children effectively and creating content for them. So I absolutely love that mission. But so here you are. I'm curious if you could share a little bit with our listeners without giving away the secret sauce. But here you are sitting at a very early age in your career in the really most amazing seat in my mind. Can you share some of the attributes of what gets the green light? What are some of the attributes? Because here's a preschool program. You'd imagine certainly educational content, kind content. But what does that really mean? Because I'm sure a lot of things you were presented had all those attributes. I will say that's a really good question. And I get that question a lot, actually. And I think especially for preschool programs, first of all, it has to have a strong curriculum. What are we teaching children? Does it have a math-based curriculum? Is it STEM? Is it social emotional? So I think that's the first step in preschool content is like, what is the show about? What are we teaching kids? And then it's your characters. What kind of characters are they? They could be anything. It could be human characters. They could be animals. They could be cars or a rock. Kids also have to be able to connect to these characters. I feel like with animation now, there's so many different ways to animate different programs. Is it 2D? Is it 3D? Is it stop motion? So I think also it has to look really unique and different. It has to stand out, that kind of thing. It also has to be funny. (laughs) So there's like all these factors that go into it. And also, has this been done before? You have to really educate yourself before you pitch an idea What else is out there? What's playing on Netflix? What's playing on Amazon? What's streaming on YouTube? With all these platforms, there's so much content and everything is saturated. And the landscape of children's TV has changed so drastically over the last few years. So you really want to find that niche. What is missing here? So I think that's really what goes into decision making. Throughout my career, I've pitched so many ideas, even stuff that I'm still working on. I think it's great, (laughs) you know, and I'm in the business, but maybe it just doesn't fit right now, or maybe it's not what networks need. And you don't really know what networks need yet until they see something like, oh, that's it. And it's also very subjective. I'm sure. Well, it's interesting because outside of the strong curriculum, which one could expect from a preschool program, what you said about the character development and also the connection that they'd have with the listener, that would ultimately mean, I think, that the greatest producers and directors have a stronger sense of empathy, if that makes sense, right? Because you're trying to really understand your audience. So that's really awesome. Now, going to your career in terms of here you are reading some scripts and trying to really just look at the whole industry. What was next for you? How did you then become an Emmy Award winning producer? So yes, I started as an assistant, just answering the phone. And I think, especially when I see young people or college kids come in today to intern or whatever, even my children, it's like the age of instant gratification. And a lot of people maybe don't want to put the work in or they're like, oh, well, what is this going to do for me type of thing? So I think really I had to prove myself first as an assistant. (laughs) You don't want to always answer the phone. You don't always want to run to Starbucks, but you know what? I did it and I was always happy to do it. And I put the work in and my boss at the time said, hey, just stay with me for two years and I will help you get your next job. I took it to heart. And she really did help me because from being an assistant, I ended up going on Blue's Room, which was a spinoff of Blue's Clues. And it was my first series that I was a part of. And I was their coordinator, their production coordinator. So I was on set, made sure the talent knew where to go, made sure all the scripts were ready to go. So I was really coordinating a lot of things on the production side. And then from there, really, I just went up the ladder because I found my groove in that position. And then just a couple months later, they promoted me to associate producer and then producer. So that's kind of where I really showed 
my skills and how much I really wanted to be there and how much I cared about the show. And then from there, that had wrapped because every good show does have an ending. So when the season ends and you don't get picked up, it's like, all right, what am I working on next? So from there, I went to the Wonder Pets, which was on Nick Jr. And I feel like that show and that experience really catapulted me to Peg Plus Cat, which is where that Emmy Award winning show. I feel like the Wonder Pets is what really made my name in children's television. I love it. Now, for those who hadn't watched or heard about Wonder Pets, what is the show? And then what was it about that show that unlocked this aha moment for you to then start Peg Plus Cat? So Wonder Pets is this animated preschool show, but it's photo real. So it's about these three classroom pets. Tuck is a turtle, Ming Ming is a duckling, and Linny is a guinea pig. And they save animals in distress all over the world, but they do it from their cage in this classroom. Also an operatic. So it's constant singing, live music is recorded through every single episode. I mean, it was really such a beautiful show, such a great concept, and it was just very high quality. I started there on its third season, and I was there for maybe three or four years just to finish out the season. And I worked on a couple other things there, but that is where my boss, his name is Mason Rather, who was a great inspiration to me and my mentor. He really guided me through the whole producing process because I went from associate producer to producer there and he was my supervising producer. So I sat right next to him every day. He kind of guided me through everything. But my job on that show was really to manage all the artists. So I had to manage all of the designers, the animators, the storyboard artists, and I talked to them and I worked with them every single day. And I think one of my strengths that came through during that process was I knew how to speak to them and I knew how to work with them and I knew how to relay feedback to them, even if it wasn't the greatest feedback. If someone said to me, oh, you know what, this sucks, I wouldn't go up to the designer and say, you know what, this is really awful. I would know how to talk to them and make them revise their work in a way that was efficient and positive. So that became one of my many strengths. And actually, really quick story in a meeting, we had a morning meeting every morning and a different person ran it every day. And someone ran it and their question to the group was, who do you enjoy working with every day? And no one knew what the question was ahead of time. But I wanna say, nearly the entire room said Jackie Demas. And I think it really blew me away because every single artist, even interns were like, Jackie listens to me. She helps me. We work through things together. When I think something's not possible, she will tell me how to make it possible. So, and that was really touching for me. And I remember the owner of the company coming up to me after and saying, you know what? That was really impressive. He's like, thank you for your work here. And that made me feel so good. I really loved all of those people and how cool to be surrounded by artists every single day and just see what they come up with. All of them are so, so different and they just see the world in a different way. And it just really inspires you too. And I just felt really lucky to be there. I mean, it was a very tough job, a lot long hours. It's not for everybody, but we did it. And the show was beautiful. And then on that show, you constantly meet people throughout your career. That's where I met my boss, who was the creator of Peg Plus Cat, one of the creators. We met there. The show had wrapped Wonder Pets and we both left at the same time. I was actually pregnant with my first son and I wanted to take time off. She had left at the same time because she was ready to move on to other things. I had my son and then she called me like a month after that and was like, hey, 
I have this idea. <laughs> That's where I met her. And she actually had said to me, I called you first because of that meeting that one day where everyone said they wanted to work with you or enjoyed working with you. It's nice. You don't necessarily know how people feel because how often do you really have a heart to heart with your coworkers. You don't really do that. And especially when you're in the day-to-day -day grind, just trying to hit deadline after deadline after deadline, you don't really say, hey, how's your mental health today? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was just really nice to know that people felt that way. And then that just made me want to work harder for them. I incredible. Well, I mean, it's hard work, but it's also not something that people easily do. So the fact that you get yeah. this third party praise from almost all of your colleagues in this Wonder Pets forum, that's amazing. But also that one nugget or that one meeting was really the reason that one person said, oh, let's call Jackie in and work with her. That is so yeah, incredible. Yeah. I love that so much. People assume that success happens overnight, but really it's like this compounding everyday thing. And so it's really what you put into your day to day. But you yeah. clearly make people feel comfortable, feel connected. So well done. And so here you are, you get a call with a newborn and with yeah. one with old and Peg Plus Cat was born. Can you share yeah. the process of the idea, your role, all of it? Sure. So I was brought on as the producer of Peg Plus Cat. At the time, it, we call it paper development. So it was really just on paper what the show's about. There were some character designs, format of the show, which is there's an opening sequence. What happens in the show? There's a problem. We solve it. There's a conclusion. It was just in paper development. And Jennifer Oxley, who is someone that I really look up to and has really helped me with my career as well, when she brought me on to Peckless Cat, she created the show with Billy Aronson, who is also this incredibly talented writer and creator, songwriter. They came up with Peckless Cat and they brought me on to bring it to life, essentially. I was tasked with getting the pilot made. So it was the very first episode. It was 11 minutes long. We had to, with the budget that we had, we had to get the designers on board, get the animators on board all of our musicians, we had to cast the voices of the characters. So this entire process took about a year. And we rented this very small studio space in the village. And we essentially reached out to or I reached out to the people I worked with on the Wonder Pets because the show had ended. And we're like, hey, let's just get all of our friends. <laughs> so they're just all so incredibly talented and great. And they really, I mean, Jen is so great to work with. She also is very generous and kind and just wants to make beautiful TV. So everybody wanted to work with her. And we made this beautiful pilot over the course of a year. And then PBS greenlit it for a series. So that was really, really, really exciting. <laughs> That is exciting. Well, I mean, what's interesting is you mentioned it's 11 minutes for a pilot. Can you share how that process works? Why does it take a year? Is that fast? Is that slow? Because <laughs> for me, it's just a black box. So animation in itself is a very slow process. It's not like shooting live talent on screen and then cutting it up in the edit room after. It's a very long process, especially with preschool TV. So you have the process of writing, which I believe is like three to four weeks to write this episode. But throughout that episode, you know, you're going through draft after draft, especially on the pilot. We have a research consultant who will take the script and then research test it with our target audience. Maybe it's five to seven-year-olds or whatever your target audience is. And then from the feedback we get from them, 
we either revise the script or go back and change it. So that process takes a very long time. And then once the script is approved, you're like, hey, we're ready to go. Then our storyboard artist gets a hold of it and starts making, okay, this is what this scene is going to look like. This is what the other scene is going to look like. And it's this series of images. And then we time it to a scratch track. So it's just someone's voice saying all the lines, timing it to the scenes, and then we go in and design it. Every process I feel like takes a month. And the actual animation part, when we get down to it, is only three weeks. But it's really all the prep time that goes into it because we're writing it, we're testing it, we're designing it, we're composing the music, we're recording all the artists. And then our sound supervisors taking all the tracks and plugging in the voices, making sure everything flows the same. So it's very tedious. It's a lot of work, but you end up getting this beautiful episode at the end. But the animation is actually one of the very last steps. Just generically, I would think it's the opposite where animation is first and then the rest comes, but it makes sense in that progression. But I could see why it takes so much longer to do. And kudos to you for getting the band back together from Wonder Pet. Now, while you're doing it, Peg plus Cat, do you realize while doing it and creating it and producing it that, hey, we've got something here that it's equally, if not more than Wonder Pets? Or how did you feel creating it? I knew that it was special before we even made it. When Jen sent me, we call it a show Bible. It's basically this little book. It has the concept written out, the designs. And when I saw the designs and I just knew, I'm like, this is going to be something because for people who don't know, the show has a math concept. It's all math based. So what's cool about Peg Plus Cat was that everything was hand drawn on graph paper. And we did it that way because the graph paper is like a hint to math. And if you really look at the episodes, you can actually see in the graph paper in the backgrounds erased out higher level equations. So it's just a hint to math and everything is deliberately designed. So even the plants are geometric shapes. The strawberries are triangles. The clouds are infinity symbols. I remember in one scene, there were like three mushrooms and it was small, medium, large. So everything is deliberate or a hint to math. And also the designs were purposely made for a kid to be able to draw themselves. Nothing overly complicated, very simple picture, simple shapes. And when I saw that, I'm like, there's nothing like this out there anywhere. It's just so simple, but at the same time, very layered and textured and beautiful. And everything is hand painted and hand drawn. So really that is also something very unusual. Incredible. It's funny how you say simple, but when I watched a few episodes, to your point, even the picture frames are hexagons. But I remember distinctly watching the, it was the Washington episode where the kids are trying to discover. And as simple as just finding the number 1776, where they are in that graph paper format. What I loved about it also visually is that it was complex and that there's a lot of characters, a lot of images, but rough enough that kids can draw it. They didn't find it so unapproachable. It wasn't 3D. I like that 2D format. And so how does that come in the production flow of, hey, move this and make that picture frame an actual hexagon or make that a mathematic small, medium, and large. But how does that work in that process? So we have a design process. So when we go through the storyboard, so the storyboard really guides the designers of what they have to design backgrounds, characters, props. 
So we actually have a very intensive design kickoff, we call it, where we go through each background, each character, each prop, and we talk about it. And also the director of that episode will say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. So it's a very collaborative process. And the director will say, hey, I think we should do this. Or And the designers also have a voice and they say what they're thinking and what they can do. And hey, I have this idea. So it's a very collaborative process. They do talk about every single thing that's going to be designed. It's incredible. And I have so many questions on this, but maybe I'll end in the next few questions. But how many people were involved in this? It sounds like so many players, animators, musicians, writers, voice folks. It's a lot. It takes a village to make an Emmy award-winning series, any series. It takes a lot of heart, a lot of people, a lot of hands on deck. So we had a very small team in Brooklyn, in New York. And then we had, basically, we call them like the heads of each department in New York. So our production department was in New York. So it was the creators who are also the executive producers, me, Mason, we had a line producer, a PA, and then it was our design directors and animation directors. And then we had two teams of animators and designers in Canada. That's where everything was made. 40 plus people, maybe, including executives on the PBS side. And it's a lot of people involved. Incredible. Well, for those who haven't watched it, it's still on PBS. Highly recommend it. Can you describe Peg Plus Cat in a nutshell? You mentioned some components, but for those who have never heard of Peg Plus Cat, but they want some numeracy for their kids, can you describe the show? Sure. So Peg is this really rambunctious girl who's five or six years old, and she loves her ukulele. She loves her cat who's named Cat. He's this blue cat. And they go on adventures in each episode, but there's always some sort of problem. And Cat always tells her, count backwards from five and calm down and we can figure it out. And then they solve their problem using some sort of math-based concept. They can go anywhere, whether it's cleaning up Peg's bedroom or helping Beethoven finish his Fifth Symphony. They can go anywhere. (laughs) So it's a great show. I'm really proud of it. I miss it. It was a really big chunk of my life and career that catapulted my career in a different direction. And I miss it. Will there ever be another moment like that for me? I hope so. Those are far and few between, I think. When you have something you know, like you have this gut feeling, hey, this is going to be great. You just have to go for it. And I think at the time, that's what I did. Being a new mom, too, with this infant, I'm like, I have to do this. Well, here you are. So then you got nominated for multiple, multiple Emmys. You won the Emmy, your first nomination, which is yeah. <laughs> incredible. Maybe two questions. One is, how did the show do in terms of number of episodes and seasons? And then why did it end? So that's a good question. So we had two seasons, but it was with animation. It takes several years, as I mentioned. So I worked on Peg Cat for six years, and that was just two seasons. But I forget exactly the number of episodes in each season, but it's two 11-minute stories is one episode. So maybe we made 40 episodes, but it was really 80 stories. So that's several years of work. So we got two seasons for that. And why did it end? It's a network decision, or it could be a ratings thing too, despite all the Emmy wins. There's several reasons for a show coming to an end. And that did, which was unfortunate. So the real reason, I don't really know. Kudos to you and that success being the first show that you fully produced. I see an Emmy in the background there. What was it like to be nominated? What's the process to be nominated and then win? What was that whole experience like? 
So the ME process is interesting. So you submit the work. So there's a call for entries like any other festival or awards contest, whatever you want to call it. But there's a submission process. They have a submissions guideline with different categories. You go through each category and you decide, hey, we could enter Peg Plus Cat in all these categories. But then you have to pick the one episode to represent the category. So really, the production team, you could submit to the Emmys. Anybody could submit, right? As long as you fall within the requirements. Like it has to air between this date and this date. It has to air at this time slot, that kind of thing. So you submit them. And then there's a judging process. And then several months later, they have a nomination announcement. So just because you submit doesn't mean you're going to be nominated because they get hundreds and hundreds of submissions to go through. And then the judging process, it takes a long time. And then this list comes out. And then if you're lucky enough to be on it, you're on it. And if you're not, you try again next year. So we just happened to five years in a row, we were nominated for Outstanding Preschool Children's Animated Program. That's the top, top category that everybody wants to be in who has a preschool show. And we were lucky enough to be nominated for that five years in a row. We won the first year. And that year, I believe we also won for individual achievement in animation. We won for writing. Haley, the girl who plays Peg, won for her performance. We just swiped it the first year. It was such a surreal thing for me because here I am, my first time being nominated and I win. Does that ever happen to people? I don't know. Maybe it does. But for me, it was very surreal because I'm there. I think I'm like 33 or 34. And my dad was my date. I took my dad because he's been so inspirational to me my entire life. And the moment I got nominated, I knew I wanted to take him. And he's sitting next to me <laughs> and they call the show's name. He's like, you got to go up. He's like nudging me. Jack, they said Peg Plus Cat, go up there. I was like, oh my God. I think I was just so frozen because I couldn't believe where I was. I had this flashback moment of being this kid in Hicksville, just writing in my journal, hoping one day, hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then there I was. It was just this completely full circle moment for me that happened in that one second. It was really cool. And the moment we got there, he was kind of like, are we going to walk on the red carpet? I'm like, yeah, dad, we are. We did that. He loved it. He took pictures with me. He just really like was hamming it up the whole time. It was just really amazing to be there with him. I don't know what it's like to win an Emmy, nor will I probably ever. What does it mean for your career after? I'm assuming is it like, okay, great, up into the right, even more so, and your career just continues to get more offers and opportunities? Or what was it like? I mean, you would think now I have this Emmy. Okay, now I can do anything. Even after I got it, I'm like, oh, what's next? Everyone's like, oh, you got it. Now are you going to slow down type of thing? I'm like, no, why would I slow down? I kept thinking, what can I do next? It's amazing to have on your resume. It's amazing to tell people about it. But I think even in my field, I don't want to say people don't care about it, but it's not going to get me my next job. It's going to be the work that I'm currently doing. It's great to have. It's great to say I'm an Emmy award-winning producer, but it's not going to get me the next job. It's interesting. I remember yeah. listening to an interview that Halle Berry did, and it was about her reflection after she won her Oscar. Yeah. And what's interesting is she said, people just assume in the industry, oh, once you win an Oscar, great, all things happen and it gets even more amazing. And she said it didn't actually open doors. And yeah. I found that to be so interesting where 
externally for someone not in the industry, you just assume, oh, all these other things happen. And it's almost like you have to work harder to maintain that level. I will say because I'm trying to work on my own personal passion projects and I have a creative partner and we're trying to get our own show off the ground. And we're both Emmy nominated award winning creators or writers, directors, and the door keeps getting closed in our faces, which I know that a lot of people, creators experience that. I know I'm not alone in it, but it's also, you got to put the work in. You got to prove that you can do it over and over and over again. That's the fun part, the Mm -hmm. work part. (laughs) I could ask you so many more questions about the job, the career, just because I find it to be so fascinating. But this is a show about you. And I also want to get to my signature questions I ask everybody. And so I'll pivot there and ask, you mentioned a few people who inspire you, but maybe I'll just ask directly, who or what inspires you? I think that's a really good question because so many things inspire me. I mean, my dad has been a huge inspiration to me my whole life. He is so intelligent, so smart. He went to Brooklyn Tech as a kid in high school and he really could have been anything. And I think his father just encouraged him to open up a business. You got to own a business, you got to own a business. So he did. But I was really the only person in my family who wanted to go in this route, this TV route. My sister's a speech therapist, there's teachers, there's lawyers, there's doctors. And he never once said, hey, maybe you should have a backup plan. Because I was so adamant, like, this is what I'm going to do. And he's like, all right, you're going to do it. So he really just inspired me my whole life, really encouraged me, never said I couldn't do anything, never put me down. He worked so many hours, but still found time to sit with my sister and I, help us with school, study with us, put us through college. I can't say enough amazing things about him. He was actually the cameraman on my new show when I was 12. So he was very involved. Part of me thinks he missed his calling as well. He totally could have been in TV or movies, but he is a very big inspiration to me. My children are an inspiration to me. They're 11 and 12. They're boys. I watch what they're watching. And I think we had talked about this before, but how lucky am I to be able to work on something and bring it home and show them? Not a lot of people can say they do that. They inspire me and they really push me every day to be the best that I can be in my career. And I just want to give them everything that they deserve. So they inspire me. Ari inspires me. We both obviously work in completely different fields, but I really do learn from him on so many different levels. I mean, look, he introduced us. different podcasts about different things that I would never think to listen to, different books, different ideas of ways of thinking. I even like went over some of these questions with him that you had sent me ahead of time. And we talked about luck because I don't believe in luck. And he's like, well, think about it this way. I'm like, oh, you're kind of (laughs) right. So he's also been very inspiring for me as well. Incredible. Well, thank you again to Ari for the kind introduction. One of the questions I had was, what are you most proud of? And initially, when we went over these questions, I think that the assumption would be, gosh, all your Emmy nominations and the actual win. But to share with the listeners, what are you most proud of? So I think what I'm most, most proud of is, so over COVID, I went through a divorce and I was not ready for it, prepared for it. My children were seven and eight. It was COVID, so you couldn't go anywhere. You were stuck. So I think my most proud moment is getting through that very dark time, but putting my energy into my work and being a good mom for my kids and showing them, hey, you can overcome anything, even though you're going through this tough time right now. Obviously, they knew what was going to happen, which was very difficult in itself. 
But during that process, I'm at Nickelodeon. At the time, I was still at Nickelodeon International. I came up with this docu-series called Extraordinary Me. And it is a short form series, very quick episodes, three minutes long. It highlights kids all over the world, ages like nine to 12. It highlights them because each kid in each story has overcome some sort of adversity, but is doing something amazing with their lives, whether it's in STEM or dancing or art or cooking or helping the environment or helping community service. I really threw myself into this series and it really has surprised me with how much we've done with this show. It's traveled all over the world. I actually have a write-up about it, but it came from me going through my divorce actually, because I just wanted to put energy into something else. And I just focused on these kids. And I was like, you know, we really have to shed some sort of inspiration or happiness out there during this very dark time with COVID, I mean, going on. And it's also an award-winning live action series. And we just highlight kids of all ages who are inspired by something they love to achieve success. So like I mentioned, playing an instrument, excelling at a sport, helping the environment, that kind of thing. But the cool thing about this show is that it's been translated into so many different languages. Maybe I could count and send you the number, but it just traveled all over the world and different markets around the world at Nickelodeon took what we did and made their own episodes highlighting the kids in their own countries. It really was this viral series that traveled very well. The year 2020, it is a push forward of just that PTSD, especially for a working mom. I yeah. think that every working mom I know has just the mental load you generally carry and then multiply it times a million in terms of the CTO that you have to be, the cleaning person, the chef, the cook. Or the teacher, right? Homeschooling during that time and working at the same time and then realizing, oh my God, my marriage is unraveling. It really put me in such a horrible place. But just looking at my kids and then looking at, hey, I have this amazing thing that I'm working on right now. Let me just put all my energy into this it took off and it really surprised me. And it's something I'm very proud of. And actually this show, Extraordinary Me, it was nominated for an Emmy itself this past December for Outstanding Nonfiction Series. We were part of, so Nickelodeon has Nick News and they were kind enough to include Extraordinary Me as a segment in their newscast. And because of that, we were nominated. It was a surprise. It was a shock. We didn't even know they submitted it. And it was just really such an honor to be there because of this. That just really just made my year, I think. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, well done. I'd be extremely proud of that too. One question yeah. I threw into the mix a couple of years ago, and I just love hearing the answers from all my guests is success. What does success mean for you? I thought about this a lot, actually, and I know a lot of people equate success with maybe fame or stardom or money and all those things are great. I think for me, success is just being happy with myself and my career and my home with my kids. If I know I'm making something that's coming out of my brain and it's out there in the world and it's making somebody happy, whether it's a kid, an adult, a caretaker, a grandparent. I mean, that to me is success. 
something that I made is reaching all different types of people all over the world, like Extraordinary Me, Peg Plus Cat, The Wonder Pets. So many people say to me, well, sing The Wonder Pets theme song to me all these years later. And that just makes me really happy. And hearing my kids say, hey, my mom worked on that. That's my mom. That's the most amazing thing to me. That's success to me. And yes, the awards are great. The Emmys are great. The nominations are great. People can't say all the time, hey, I'm being honored for my work. That in itself is a success as well. Love it. We talked about this a little bit, but can you share how luck has impacted your life? Good luck, bad luck, the serendipitous moments? This is like a tough question for me because I think when people say luck, I'm like, oh, it's really hard work. Like, what are you talking about? Hard work gets you where you want to go. But that's not always true either because you could work so hard and then nothing amounts to it. You don't get anything out of it and that stinks. But I feel like for me, the way that my career has gone where it's been, hey, I just happened to fall into Nick Jr. and and I met all these amazing people and that just happened to take me to Blue's Clues, which happened to take me to the Wonder Pets where I met who I did and then they helped me get to where I am. Maybe the stars were aligned somehow for me. Maybe I was meant to graduate a semester early and bartend. I mean, who really knows, right? I just somehow met the right people at the right time. I really think that has a lot to do with it. One guest mentioned it's not so much that her career she attributed to good luck, which she did have a lot of gratitude for, but she said you put in the work to then get that opportunity. So yes, the chance encounter is lucky, but you wouldn't have got there unless you didn't do extraordinary work on Wonder Pets and then Peg Plus Cat. Given the name of the show, we've heard a little bit about some hardship, some struggle and some struggles you've had, but I'm curious just to ask directly, what, if you can share, has been your most transformative failure slash growth moment? My most transformative moment, I guess, has happened over the past few years through my divorce. I think it was a light bulb moment for me. So many people say to you, oh, surround yourself with people who are positive or who want to help you or want to see you grow. And that is so, so true because my marriage fell apart because I wasn't getting the support that I needed. I wasn't being valued. I wasn't being cared for or loved, or I couldn't bring my work home because I felt like that was one of the reasons why everything unraveled, unfortunately. And I feel like that happens to a lot of people. There's a lot of maybe jealousy going on, or you have to kind of hide what you're really striving for, which is not healthy or good. And I think getting out of that and then finding people who really support me has really changed my life all for the better. And you really do need to surround yourself with people who love you and care about you. Aside from my children and my family and Ari, I have an amazing circle of girlfriends. They're all so amazing and inspirational in different ways. They're also all very different. And we're on this group text that we've been on for years. Like we all met when our sons were five, essentially. And we've been friends ever since. We share everything and we just pick each other up. It really helped me through some really awful times. And I don't know what I would do without them. That's very, very important, especially as you're getting older. Absolutely love that. And I Couldn't agree more. I think that even pre-COVID, I'm so grateful for the support that I have both personally and professionally. But when you realize that as you get older and then also the people you surround yourself with when you have children, gosh, there is nothing that compares to a really great support network. So I guess this is also someone who has inspired me. So in sixth grade, when we did that weekly newscast, my teacher at the time, 
Her name was Mrs. Hornick. And she was a new teacher. And she really inspired me to write. I think she saw something in me that she just brought out in me. So she really was the one who encouraged me to read a lot, to write a lot. We focused on writing so much in her class. And I think that really got me going into writing. But she is now a principal. Her whole career has been in education, but now she's a principal on Long Island. She has a different method of teaching where it's more kids need to be kids and learn through play and that kind of thing. But she wrote this book called Actually I Can, and it's her story about how she is inspired every day and how she wants to help kids. And she also highlights people she's met along the way. And she asked a few of her former students to write their story. So she asked me to write my story. So I'm in this book, Actually I Can. Dr. Lori Corner is her name now, wrote it. You could get it on Amazon. It's really such a great book because every woman, only women that are in this book. So it's from all walks of life, all different ages, all different ethnicities and their story of how they became professionals in their field. And it's all different. I think I'm the only one in there that's in TV. It's education, it's law, it's real estate, it's different areas. But she gave me this opportunity. It was actually during COVID. I was working on Extraordinary Me. So I felt like because my marriage had ended, all these other doors opened. And I think it was because I was actually happy or I was like, I felt like this weight had been lifted off because I didn't realize how much I was being dragged down. And then when I was on my own, it was like, wow, I can really do what I want and no one's gonna put me down about it. So I think Extraordinary Me was going on and that was going great. And then this opportunity came up to write my story in this book. And I remember writing it sending it to her and I'm expecting all these notes back. And she was like, you know what? This is perfect as is. We're going to print it as is. I said, okay, it's a great book. Even just reading about other people's paths is always inspirational to me. Absolutely. Well, it's right up my alley and I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes to that book because well, I love the title and also it sounds yeah. a little bit like Extraordinary Me, but for grownups in many ways. For grownups. Yeah, exactly. And I love just hearing stories from everybody, but especially women too. Because I feel like in any field, we have to work harder, right? You have to work harder. You have to be mindful of the way you come across and you don't want to be too pushy or whatever it is, but you want what you want. So I think it's just harder, more challenging for women. And it's nice to hear other women and how they've come up in their career, I think. Two more questions. If you could speak to Jacqueline right after college, what would you tell her? I would probably tell her that things take time. <laughs> Nothing is permanent. When I say that, I mean like your first job is not your last job. Sometimes overcoming pain or struggle is your power. So I would just say, take your time, put the work in. Life is going to throw you all different types of curveballs, but you're going to overcome them. Love it. And very last question. What's next for Jackie Demas? There's so many things that I want to do. I really, really want my own animated series, which I'm working on constantly. I have a creative partner that I work with that we've been working together for years. We have a few ideas that we're throwing around, pitching around. So I really hope one day that comes full circle. I really want to write a book. I write every day, fiction, nonfiction. I have some personal essays that I've written that I haven't shared with anybody. I would really love to be published someday as well. So I'm working on all these side passion projects that I hope one day will just be my full time. But I do love where I am 
I do love Nickelodeon though. I love my team. I love what I work on. So I kind of get the best of both worlds at the moment. Love it. Well, given all the awards I see in the background and just your genuine passion for creating high quality content for yourself and also for your kids and everyone's kids, I can only imagine the book's coming soon and all the other shows that you're working on will win more and more Emmys. So Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining the show. I just had a blast talking to you and learning more about the world of content creation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. 